It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome in Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Alongside my partner, Mike Evans, I'm Mark Schlereth. Scott the Hub producing the show. Want to thank our presenting sponsor, the fine folks over at Sweet Sweat. For all your exercise needs, your supplement needs, they've got the new pre and post workout I've been taking. It's absolutely awesome. All the vitamins, you name it. That's where I get it, at Sweet Sweat. Check them out at SweetSweat.com for all your needs. And the exercise equipment as well, the the belts, the you know the exercise cores, little bungee cord things and all those things. They've got it all right there at Sweet Sweat, at SweetSweat.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Stink. Um... You know, I'm I'm like a lot of fans out there. I've been following this opt-out story around the NFL, and it as we've learned more about it, didn't realize that if you opt out and if you meet certain criteria in terms of high risk with the coronavirus, that you can make upwards of $350,000 while opting out and still accrue a year of service time for pension benefits mm-hmm. all that thing and still have your contract that's in place for this year roll over to next year so there's i don't Almost know incentive is, is, is i'm i'm that's what i want to ask you because because i think a lot of us as fans are like hmm how many of these opt outs are because of real concern and how much of it is, you know what? This is not a bad deal to sit out. Yeah, I think I think the majority of it, Mike, because you're talking about most players, you know, making what five, six, seven, eight million dollars. The players that are opting out, anyhow, you know, the guys that are the guys that are minimum wage guys. I haven't seen any of those guys say, "Hey, you know what? I've got some real concerns about coronavirus. I'm going to sit out." Those guys that are in year one or year two in the league. I don't see those guys sitting out. It's guys that have been making money for the last decade that are like, or last five or six years, they're saying, hey, man, I've got a legitimate reason to sit out. Like, I have a newborn baby. I have uh, a wife that's pregnant. I have whatever the case may be. You know, I have some aunts and uncles or some people, family members, or my mom or whoever that has some serious health issues, and I don't want to expose those folks. So... I am going to opt out of this. But most in most cases, the people that I see opting out also are financially set. And now you're you, you seem to be incentivizing those guys as well that have legitimate options to be able to do that and still collect a paycheck. And you talked about that that salary rolling over to the next season. Which listen, these guys are employees that are taking the the lion's share of the risk in everything, not only health wise from injury aspects, but you know, but coronavirus, uh, you know, as well, taking that on. So they deserve to be compensated. They deserve to to have a legitimate opportunity to say, hey, man, this is not for me this year. That's okay. I don't have any issue with that. The other thing that's interesting or like a financial interest, the teams, when you have all these guys opt out, like the New England Patriots have had eight guys opt out, all those salaries come off the books. So, for instance, I was just reading here in Denver, Jawan James, the much maligned offensive right tackle for the, the Denver Broncos, who set a record in regards to paying an offensive tackle in free agency last year when they signed him to a four-year $52 million deal. I believe 32 of it was guaranteed, Mike. Um, 
it was a record at the time. I'm sure it's been usurped since then, but it was a record on the time. He played like 60 snaps last year, and he has decided to opt out, and he is taking all kinds of ridicule here in Denver for being soft, for being a pansy, for blah, 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 whatever, the, you know, whatever the case may be, even so much so that he came out and talked about this false narrative that was created um, about him, and it was from Vic Fangio last yeah, year. Yeah, before we, before we put this all on the fans for calling Juwan James soft, they kind of took their cues from the head coach sure. who came out last year and said, he's been medically cleared to play, but he's got to get his mind right. He's got to get mentally right. Before he goes out there, I guess. He said he I mean, has it was, to. It was all but just labeling the guy soft. That's, that's exactly that's what, what he, he did. came out and said. And it's exactly. Without saying soft. That's exactly what he did. And, and I look at that and I think to myself, there's a reason it took you 30 years to get a head coaching job. Like, I think that Vic Fangio is a hell of a football coach. And I think he's probably a really good guy. But he says things in press conferences like that that are taboo subjects. You cannot do that. To a player. Listen, if you want to eviscerate me in front of my, you know, O-line meeting room or you want to eviscerate me in front of the in front of the team meeting room, whatever, whatever the case may be, I'll gladly accept it. If I'm a turd or I'm playing like shit or whatever the case may be, I will own that. But you can't walk out of the confines of that meeting room and then go to the podium in front of the media and essentially call me soft. Juwan James came out and said, this false narrative created created about me is not is not correct. And he had a knee injury where the coach said, hey, he's been cleared to play, but we got to get him ready to play. You should have stopped right there because that can mean a million different things. We got to get him ready to play. He's got to practice. You can't go out in the game having been out for six weeks and not practice. We got to get him ready to make sure that he's ready to play and play well, right? You could have stopped there. But then you had to add on because you're irritated that he's not playing or that he's not ready to play. You had to add on, well, he physically he's not ready to perform and emotionally he isn't ready to perform. You may have well just called him, the guy's a real pussy. I mean, that's essentially what you did. And I, pardon the French, but that doesn't, that will never be acceptable even if you don't like the guy in the locker room you crossed a line in a locker room environment that can never be crossed I, I guess I as just a fan I guess I don't understand why that's such a big deal because if let's just say all right we're using Juwan James maybe it's unfair but just for the sake of conversation all right he's soft right okay coaches think he's soft you players in the room think he's soft mm-hmm and you as players have gone to him and challenged him and fought with him, all with the idea of trying to get him to not be soft. The coaches have said right. the same thing. You got to come on. You got to go play. You, you know, why are you being so soft? Everybody understands that's what he is, and you're all pissed off about it. And then Vic Fangio goes out and talks about it publicly, and all of a sudden, that's crossing a line? Yes. 100% is crossing I mean, you, as a franchise, as teammates, you've tried everything. Right. To me, it's almost like a last resort. What's wrong? What's wrong with letting everybody out there, in in this case, Broncos country, understand this is how we think about this guy mm-hmm. as a last ditch effort that, man, if if the ridicule or if the attention I'm getting in my own locker room isn't enough, now I got half a million people who know what I'm all about. Maybe just maybe it will 
get him to not be soft. If you can't muster up, if you can't muster up the intestinal fortitude to go out and play for the guys that are going out there and landing on the line, the guys that don't necessarily believe you or whatever, if you can't, if you're not motivated by, you know, behind closed doors, the ridicule or the challenging of you as a player, you think all of a sudden challenging you in the media is is going to be the kicker that gets you over the top? There's a million different things you can do. Hey, make him go take scout team reps, bench his ass. You know, say hey, well, right now our backup player is playing so well, we don't want to, you know, but he hasn't earned that. He's got to come back and practice hard and make sure that, you know, he can usurp the backup because the backup's playing well. There's a million different things you can say without splaying a guy out publicly. And and can I, I was, but Can I add one more? Because yeah. I, think, I think this is, excuse me if I sound like, uh, oh, this generation has gotten soft and, you know, right. get off my lawn guy. But there was a time back in the early 90s, uh, I was fresh out of college when my first gigs, I was covering the New England Patriots when Bill Parcells was a coach. And they had a rookie wide receiver named Terry Glenn out of Ohio State. And he had missed most of training camp up until this point with a hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. And Parcells, you could tell, was getting really frustrated by it. Right. And so one day at a press conference, somebody asked Bill, hey, Bill, what's the status with Terry Glenn? And he paused and he said, oh, she's doing fine. Mm-hmm. Now, can you imagine if Parcell said that today or any coach said that today? They get it, fired. That's all, that's all people would talk about. Right. He'd get fired, right? Back right. then, everybody just kind of chuckled. <laughs> he right. called her she. I get what he's doing there. And there was mm, there right. was no blowback. I it, It's Bill freaking Parcells. Yeah. I think that year the Patriots ended up going to the Super Bowl. Or, or a year later, they went to the Super yeah. Bowl. So it wasn't like. The players in New England felt that what he did was taboo. So what's the difference? Other than maybe this generation of players are softer? I think I think it, it's interesting because I was playing a league when he did that. I was I was in the league. And, With the Washington uh, football team. Uh, might have been my first year in Denver because I think that was 96. And they did go to the Super Bowl and lose to Green Bay. That's right. That's right. Um, but anyhow, uh, we laughed. Ha, 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 ha. Ooh, can't do that, right? I mean, that's that's the that's the thought process. Now, understand different time. Bill Parcells had already come from the Giants, where he had won multiple championships, and he had his core group of guys. So he had his guys that were essentially filters, you know, that that basically liaisons between Bill and the and the team. So he had his Pepper Johnsons of the world. He had his Steve Diossis of the world. He had guys that he would bring with him that would soften some of the blow. So what would those players say to the other Patriot players who maybe were sitting back going, yeah. "Hey man, you can't do that." Right. He'd be like, "Hey, this is just this is just old as Bill. He's old school. He you know, he doesn't like there's they they have like a, just, again different time, but I'm sure there was some blowback in that locker room. There was some guys that weren't pleased about that, um, but for the most part, like everywhere I've ever been, you just can't those things. You cannot do. You can't you can't do that to a player. See here in Denver, I mean he's it, at the same time that he's that he's essentially eviscerating a guy like Juwan James. He's mama catting and praising a guy like Garrett Bowles, who nobody in, on the team like they don't respect it because he hasn't played well. 
and he 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 doesn't adjust. He keeps making the same exact mistakes, and like you're praising him, trying to get him through. You know, you're you're dogging Von Miller, who is a Super Bowl MVP and a, a multiple Pro Bowler, and saying, well, he could play better. He could be this. He could be that. And and you're praising Brandon Allen, the backup quarterback, as a gamer, and Garrett Bowles, who people don't respect. And so there's a real mixed message within the locker room. The, the bottom line is a team, the team environment, your family. That's really what it boils down to. And there's certain things about your family you just don't air out publicly. Like I can get in the closed doors with my kids and just air them out about whatever I don't like or whatever is going on that I think needs to change. But if I go out in, a, in our cul-de-sac as a town crier and tell the neighbors what they did, my wife will divorce me. It's okay to air them out in our kitchen when nobody's there to hear it. But in front of, you know, God and everybody, it's not cool. So that's part of, you know, that's just part of. um, But when you play, you're comparing real life and families to sports figures, celebrities. Don't don't you kind of sign up for that kind of scrutiny? Yeah, you you do you, that public scrutiny, especially not, in a time, especially in a time where so many athletes make themselves open through social media. Right. There's a lot of that in social media. I I'm with you on that. I get it. But the, the but to me again, Mike, is you're going to get enough ridicule publicly when you get a holding call. When your team doesn't win, when you throw a pick, when you know you you can't show up and play because you're injured, you're going to get enough of that. Don't give what we've seen here in Denver is we've seen because of what Vic Fangio said, that like on our text line and our radio show, people are ruthless. He's soft. He has no integrity. Talk about is, James. Yeah, yeah, James. On and on and on. Yep. And you have given, you have given them the ammunition to say that, and they have become comfortable saying something they would never say to somebody's face on our text line because you, as a head coach, crossed a line that you can't cross. That and that's all I'm. That's all I'm saying. So you know, you can think about whatever you want about Juwan James, and you know, you can sit there and say, well. You know, most people are saying he opted out not because he's afraid of coronavirus. He opted out because he's soft and he doesn't love football. But you know where they formulated that opinion for the most part is because you as an organization allowed them to formulate that opinion because you basically came out and called the guy soft, called the guy a coward. It's what you did. And that's why, that's why to me it's wrong. And I understand that we're in the entertainment business. I understand that people will look at Juwan James and say, well, you know, you can't separate the, the fact that the guy made, you know, 30-some. He's going to make $32 million. He's played 60 snaps. And that probably, Mike, I would I would not be surprised if those are the only 60 snaps he ever plays for the Denver Broncos. That's 500 and, like, $32 million I did the math. It's like 500 and... Eight thousand dollars a snap. A snap. Oh man. So man. I, I, I get that. I get that people like I get that kind of money. Yeah. 
I get the scrutiny, and I, and I get that when you've made that kind of money that nobody can empathize or sympathize with you, it makes you almost less than human. And I would just say the guy is still human, and there's no question that the way he was treated has played a part of of him opting out. Let me just say this really quick. I have seen, over the course of my career of playing, I have seen a lot of guys that were diagnosed with something, treated for something, told they could still play, told they're not going to do any further damage, and at the end of the season, they relook at that MRI they took, or they relook at those x-rays and go, oh, by the way, you know what? We misdiagnosed that. You actually do have something that requires surgery. But the team wanted them to play through it. So there is a bit of distrust there, too. So when a team says, hey, you're cleared to play, and you as a player going, wait a minute, I still feel like shit. Like, I can't. They go, well, he's cleared to play. I mean, our doctor's cleared him to play. Like, you can't always look at that and say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This guy's just soft because he won't play. There's That's yeah, why there's also, second but opinions. But you also have to, though, describe, and, and <laughs> who better than you, the, I, I guess, and you know, what passes for fit to play in the NFL. Right. I mean, you've, you've said yourself, I mean, you get to a certain point of the season – Nobody's 100%. Sure. Everybody's playing hurt. So do the doctors and medical people fall into that same kind of thinking? Absolutely. It's like, you're right, he maybe isn't 100%. But the way that we know football to be. We play. He's 90%. He's 85%, which is good enough to go play. Yes. So can you... You know, can, can can you honestly, if you're a football player... Can you understand why people, even a medical staff, you know, even you know, doctors who, mm-hmm. you know, have a, an oath to to uphold, uphold, might look at you and say, "Well, yeah, you're not 100, percent but nobody's 100. percent Yeah, that's, that's part of the game. You're good to go, right? And, and that's and that's and part you can't, of it. And you can't wait to be 100, percent right? And and everybody has a different pain tolerance. Everybody has a different threshold. Everybody has a, you know, a, a different kind of mentality of what they're willing to to put up with, what they're willing to do. And so, I mean, I like I get that. I, I just is hard it's hard for people to separate money and and see players as anything anything less than like anything less they're than robots. they're robots. Yeah. yeah. That's how they, they they're not they're just not human. And and you know, all I'm trying to do is say, hey listen, like is the guy the toughest guy that's ever played in the NFL? Probably not. But he's still human. He still has feelings and and you know, and part of a part of getting called out like that publicly, how much does that affect you going forward going, why would I go out here and risk injury, coronavirus and all the things that I've put up with for an organization that basically called me a pussy publicly? You're right. He's probably played his last snap here. You're, you're probably right. So. You're probably right. These opt outs and and it's it's drawn headlines, but then I think you got to look at the the overall scope of things. I mean, there's like what with with training camp rosters and everything, you're looking at about two thousand players, uh huh, and you know some forty or so have opted out. So it's a really really small percentage, but we tend to really make a big deal of the uh, the, the opt outs. Is this is this a, a a sign that these players are taking a look at what is going on with baseball? 
as maybe a cautionary reminder of what could happen to them? And does it just once again raise the question, you know, baseball's having their issues. Meanwhile, I look at the NBA, the NHL, and they are thriving in this bubble mentality. Should the NFL... I know we talk about it every week, but I'll, I'll bring it up again. I mean, should are they making a mistake if they try to follow the baseball model? Um, I think it's inevitable. I think it's hard for baseball or hard for football where you want, you know, you want to be in your home environment where you practice. You want to have your facility. You want to have your protocols and all that stuff. I think it's really hard to think of, hey, can we put – you know, can we put 32 teams in inside in some type of, you know, regional bubbles? And then you still have to travel. You still have to play. You, you've got the schedule you've got, right? You're not going to all of a sudden. It takes them four months to put that damn schedule together. I know I know the guy who does it, Howard Katz. You know, I've talked to him about it. it ta- how many permutations they go through to put that schedule together and how many red flags crop up and, and this, that, and the other. And, like, how, how do you do that in football? I guess you could do kind of a bubble mentality locally where we still practice a facility, but we all live at a hotel for six months. And we we basically sequester you at this hotel, and you're not allowed to leave. We do all your meals for you. We do everything. You can't see your family. You can't whatever, right? They're, like, I suppose you could do that and have a better success rate. I hope the baseball thing is a reminder because you look at, you know, you look at the Miami Marlins, right? And the Miami Marlins, I, I, Derek Jeter came out and said they went out for milk and cookies and some coffee, and they got they all got sick. You know, okay, gift basket guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what happened. Careful, don't, in, don't right. want to invoke the wrath of Yankee fan. But, but anyhow, okay, we understand they didn't take it seriously, and somebody swiped right, and the next thing you know, a bunch of guys are infected. Okay, <laughs> I get it, I get that. Um, and I think that the St. Louis Cardinals went somewhere and went gambling. Like they went, went to a casino. casino. Yeah. Woohoo. I, where were they when they went out to the casinos? There's so many of those around like Chicago. You can go across the river. Right. To Chicago. St. Louis, there's, Chicago. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's so they, Detroit. There's, oh, there's, there's, yeah, there's casinos in, in St. Louis. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or across the So yeah. I'm, you know, whatever. Like I think. It's a great cautionary tale to say, hey, guys, if we're not completely committed to taking care of one another, like this is going to sweep through an organization. And guess what? You know, you're going to have to forfeit five or six games, whatever the case may be. Um, So I think it's a great cautionary tale. Do you have the discipline? Do you have the the self-sacrifice? Because I think you can get through the season. I, I do. I think you can. I think, look at of all these tests, up to last week, there was like some 11,000 tests over the last couple of weeks in baseball, and less than 2% of guys had yeah. coronavirus. Yeah. You can do it, and I think a lot of teams are doing it the right way. Well, yeah, I mean, every night you're you're seeing right. 12, 13 baseball games get played. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've had some postponements. Some teams have, have had to miss games, but yeah. the overwhelming majority of games are getting, getting played, and you should be able to – Make up the other games and all that. I just, I, I guess, it to me, it's inevitable. If the NFL does not go with that bubble mentality, then you, early on in the season, once teams start to move around and travel and mm-hmm. play, you will have a Marlins type or Cardinals type outbreak among a couple of football teams. 
It's it's inevitable. See, I don't think it it, it, it will right. happen. It's not like it's not the travel aspect of it. The no, travel it's, it's the Tinder right. that comes right. with the travel, right? Well, it's the Tinder or maybe they're just going out for a nice team dinner. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's that aspect. So if you do a great job of babysitting your players and making sure that hey, we walk in, we grab our, you know, they they service our keys, we go up where we go up and we're sequestered on four floors and we're not allowed to leave these four floors, then you got a chance. I suppose football's regimented enough. When you guys go out on the road, you don't have nearly the freedom that baseball, basketball, hockey players have, especially I, baseball right. guys where you hunker down and you're in a city all of a sudden for three or four days. I literally never left the hotel yeah. ever. Yeah. So you could probably. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, the, you know, there's. For every guy like me, there's two guys that are like, "What? Well, we got two hours? <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go. You know, so go for I mean, milk that, and cookies. Right. Let's go out for milk and cookies. Um, yeah, cookies. Uh, anywho, I mean, that's, that's what they're dealing with. Yeah. So do I think it can be done? Yeah, I do. Um, again, there's there's half a dozen guys, maybe more on every team, that you're just going to have to really do a great job of babysitting. All right, quick lightning round. Some uh, NFL topics uh, that actually involve right. football. Antonio Brown. We talked about this last week. Kind of unfair to Antonio Brown. You know, how can a team right. show interest in him when they don't know how long he's going to be suspended? Now we know. Eight games. Is that, is that a deal breaker for teams? <sighs> I think that there will be one. I think it's a deal breaker to sign him now. Right, you don't want to sign him and have him on your roster, and so after week one, right, then you can sign him because then he's basically a week to week employee. If you sign him previous and he's on your roster, then he is guaranteed for a full year. So teams, even if it was a two week suspension or a three weeks, I don't think teams would sign him till after week one, if that makes sense, because um, they want him to be a week to week employee. I think he's got a chance because this is what I think will happen. Um, and I said it a week ago or so on this podcast. I was like, it's unfair for him. It, it really is. As much of a turd as he's been, it's unfair to him to do all the things that they've requested him do, the counseling and all these things, and for them not to come up with some suspension. Okay? So now they've come up with a suspension. I think a team will sign him after week one, Mike. He'll appeal the suspension, and it'll get reduced to four games. And then a team can handle that. You know, as he'll be working out. He'll be doing his thing. They'll get him up to speed from the playbook standpoint or whatever. I know that he can't be – I think he can't officially be within the organization and the walls of it when he's suspended. But I also know how the league works, man. They circumvent things, and they've got ways to get you information and do all those things. So – I think that's probably what will happen. A team like the Seahawks, um, you know, will sign him week after week one. And like I said, he'll, he'll appeal it. He'll get it reduced to four games, three games or four games, and um, he'll be off and running. Uh, apparently the uh, fascination with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady um, is is annoying Cam Jordan mm-hmm. of the uh, of Saints. The Saints. Yeah. Who came out and said in an interview, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're talented. Yeah, this and that. But um, uh, they're fighting for second place. Right. Shots fired. 
Yeah, I yeah. like it. Yeah, I do too. I do too because there's. A, are you convinced the Bucks are fighting for second place, or I are you, I am, are you sure the Saints are still the team in the? Uh, I am NFC convinced South? that the Saints are a better team. Yes, I am. But are the Saints a better team for 17 weeks? Are they a, like what happens? We've seen them drop the ball here in recent playoffs, right? We've seen them not take care of their business, like. I think they win that division, Mike. And I think, I mean, I think it's unfair to compare them, you know, to the Saints that have all this continuity, head coach, you know, the coaching staff, um, offensive line. You know, the, the players have all been there. They know what they're doing. You know, where Tampa Bay is putting in, you know, some type of amalgamation between what Tom Brady likes and what, you know, the head coach Bruce Arian likes, and 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 you know, so they're they're figuring that out. But still, there's ta- there's so oh, much talent. A ton. See, of I would argue that Tampa Bay is more talented than New Orleans. I'm not saying they're a better team, but I'm saying they're more talented. Because yeah. again, t- talk about taking your cues. I took I take my cue from you. Is that you were you were talking about Tampa last year? Like, hey man, that defense is legit. They but are. Jameis Winston is turning the ball over 39 times. Yeah. Now, well, they've they fixed that. So that they, defense, they don't have that kind of quarterback anymore. Right. Still have all that offensive talent. And all that defensive talent. Now you've added the goat. Yeah, I, w- I would I think say New Orleans right. ought to be looking in their rearview mirror. I closely. would. I would say this: that there's no, uh, there's no question outside the numbers. Tampa is loaded. When, and shoot, inside the ashes. I mean, when you talk about Gronkowski and you talk about um, uh, OJ Howard and you talk about uh, who's a Harvard kid they have too at the tight end position. Break. Brait, Cameron Brait, and then you look at Godwin, and you look at uh, me, you, Mike Evans. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no question ab- about their just talent. I think their backfield, their running back. Although they thought, I think it's what's the kid's name, Ronald Jones. I yeah. think they thought he was going to break out. He just hasn't been. Great, and, and their offensive ah, line. Look at Brady though; he doesn't need. He yeah, doesn't need stud running backs, but. But their offensive line has been kind of like I would give the one place I would give the Saints a huge advantage is their O line, especially both their bookend tackles are outstanding. I give them a big advantage there. Defensively, though, with Tampa, man, young play, all first, second rounder, or all first, second year guys, um, you know, rookies. Vita Vea is a player. Obviously, Shaq Barrett was unbelievable last year. JPP can still play. And Dominican Sue was great for them last year. Um, and and their linebacking core can flat run and hit. And I, I tell you, they're an intriguing football team. All right, would you give me this? All right, I'll concede. Saints are still the best team in the division. They got the continuity. Mm-hmm. They've got the coach-quarterback right. relationship down. Right. Okay, fine. Tampa Bay is fighting for second place. But come the end of the season, yes, they are the team that nobody, and I mean nobody, wants to play in the NFC. I, I'll give I like I will give you that. They're like they're a they're a nightmare and they're super aggressive on defense. They they'll give up some big plays, but they're gonna make they're gonna sack you. They're gonna make you turn the ball over. They're gonna they're gonna get their opportunities. They're really they their blitz pressure under Todd Bowles is as good as well. He he'll be one of the 
he'll be one of the top two as far as pressures are concerned in the NFL. Um, they're an outstanding group. They're young, outstanding. Tom Brady doesn't turn it over. They're going to get more opportunities with the football. Yeah, they're they're a team that everybody's going to be kind of, like you said, peeking in the rearview mirror to look for where where are the where are the Bucks right now. By the way, Brady just turned forty three the other day. Oh, I celebrated. I had a cake. <laughs> I, I I made a cake. You made a cake. Happy birthday, Tom. Yeah. Lit the candles. I lit the candles. Yeah. I blew them all out. <laughs> I made a wish. Had something to do with being shirtless. Yeah. I don't want to get into the wish. <laughs> Sent my wife and children okay, upstairs. I think that yeah. uh, we've reached the end of this one. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know what? I would like to, uh, if you want to get Tom Brady a, a belated birthday present, go see my friends at Sweet Sweat. He, he loves to work out <laughs> and, uh, and you know, drink lots of water. Yeah. So, uh, Sweet Sweat, the presenting sponsor of this show, we <laughs> thank you good. so much That's for good. being part uh, of the show. For Mike, myself, for Scott, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you later on in the week.